This is the Be God's Light podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. In 2022, we spent an entire year looking at the life of Jesus from the four Gospels. So if you want to go back and take a look at some of those, you're always welcome to. And then last year, we explored the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament. So in that two-year period of time, we covered the entire New Testament. And here in 2024, we're diving into the Old Testament for a look at how God has been at work from the very beginning. Ben, last time we, we looked at some of the creation story and how God created people and how he created us to be in community with one another for good or for bad. Today, we see the for bad part of that. It's known as the fall, the fall of humanity, the, the fall of mankind, as people introduce sin into the world. If, if they just hadn't done that, it would have all been just so amazing today, right? Yeah. 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 God, yep. everything God created Except was good. Except if it had made all the way down to me, then I would have been yeah. the one to eat this. And the, if you hadn't, I probably would have. Eat this stuff. So, okay. So let's take a look. We've got to back up to Genesis chapter two just to get the context of it. And, and this again, it's the creation of man and woman. And before the woman was ever created, it says in chapter 2, verse 8, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed, just the man. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. It's an important phrase, pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Down to verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Later in the Genesis 2 story, the woman is created from the man's rib, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, and so they are together in the garden. He must have told her this story that God had come to him and said, don't eat from that tree because she was aware of it. When we get to Genesis chapter three, we have them violating that command from God. Genesis chapter three, I'll pick it up at verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Already we see some variation there, don't we, of what the command was. And, you know, maybe it's like telephone game. (laughs) Something gets passed from somebody the next, except their telephone game was short because there were only two of them, but somewhere in the translation from God to the man to the woman, now to the serpent, who we know as Satan, it got translated from you must not eat from it or you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Do you, do you make it a, a lot from this? Like, I, I mean, I've looked at this at times and I wonder, is that just like the story being told or is is there something to that? where they're already embellishing the command just ever so slightly. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, you see how how Satan twisted the scripture to begin with when he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree right. in the garden? Which that's not what God said. He just said the one. And then we do. We see Eve really go full uh, <laughs> legalism in some ways uh, to where it's not just you cannot eat, but you can't even touch it. Um, and so we see Eve also twisting the scripture itself, adding uh, to it, presenting something that was not there. And I don't think, you know, it's not by accident that those words were written um, in the scripture. I think it's meant to depict that unnecessary uh, addition to scripture, how that in itself, adding to the law, adding to God's word has a way of twisting the heart as well. It's dangerous for all of us when we take scripture and sort of maneuver it to meet our own needs, our own desires, our own philosophies of the world. It's a, this, this has lived with us forever and will continue. I would, I would say when we just change it ever so slightly or, or get into kind of the word gymnastics and say, well, we can make this word mean this or, or, or something else. It's a, it's challenge for us, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it reveals to us our need to, and it, it again, born of our relationship with God, longing to experience the intimacy that that He wants us to experience with Him, is to know Him deeply, to know Him intimately. That comes through uh, His self revelation, through His His Word to us, um, and then to to hold ourselves to it. And, uh, and I think that that's an aspect of, you know, in some ways, the, the warning of uh, Genesis 3 and what leads them ultimately into sin is the twisting of God's word uh, prior to the act itself. Like, you know, like something bad is coming because the word itself has been twisted. I would think already if you have a snake talking to you, that you maybe should say that this is not normal. Um, I, I don't really know. I heard uh, Bill Maher one time uh, debating some Christian guy and saying, if, if you guys want to believe in Christianity, you got to get rid of the talking snake. And so, and my only thought was the guy's comeback should have been, then you got to get rid of the walking fish because that's just as much of a thing that come out of the, the yeah. cesspool of life. And here's humans that kind of come out of that. So we, we can believe, uh, all kinds of strange things and, and weird things, but here, here, this serpent in the in the book of Revelation, other places depict him as being Satan, the devil. The and in the book of Revelation, they called the serpent or the or the the dragon. The and and so we know that it's the embodiment of evil that of Satan is speaking to this woman, and he says this in verse four: "You will not certainly die." So now it's completely contradictory. To what God has said, usurping God's power. He says to the woman, you're not going to die for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God knowing good from evil. In other words, God lied to you. God knows that if you eat from it, you'll be as smart as him. And so he told you not to eat from it, you'll die, but you're not going to die. God's a liar. Yeah. And part of it too, and we see this as well, is that he Satan presents God as almost like this cosmic killjoy. Like 
it, because he, he doesn't want you to know what he knows. And uh, how often um, I hear that, even from self-proclaimed Christians, uh, when they, they lament um, God's desire for us, if God calls us to live in such a way that's contradictory to something that they're passionate about, and then they themselves go and present God as like some sort of cosmic killjoy, you know, which sadly, you know, our true joy, our true life is found in uh, God himself. But this is what we see Satan doing and trying to manipulate Eve is, is lying about God's intent and presenting God as, again, this, uh, as I like to say, cosmic killjoy who doesn't want them to experience the fullness of life. And they, they want the fullness of life. They want more than that. They want to be, they want to be like God. They, they probably want to be their own gods, which is the story of all of us. So when, when the woman, verse six, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, the same thing that was said earlier, and here's another addition, desirable for gaining wisdom. Not just, not just wisdom like in the positive sense, but I want to be as smart as God. I want to be smarter than God. She took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And, the, and there we have the fall. I mean, there's, there's a lot more to that story, but we have, that's the moment when sin was introduced into the world. And the Bible's really clear from the very first page to the last page of the Bible that it's not just them, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It, the Bible's very clear that we're all in this same sin boat together and we're all living into that with one another. And that sin is part of our world, part of our, the human experience. And in many ways, I, I think that our struggle is that we want to be our own God. We want to be in charge of our own lives. The essence is I want, and I, not what God wants, but, I want, and that becomes the trap for us and the, and the lure of sin in our lives. Let's move on to, to Genesis 4, because I, this is what I really want to camp out on a little bit today. So the, there's a more, lot more in Genesis 3 with the, with the fall, but I want to get into the, the story of their kids, um, Cain and Abel. They had these two kids, Adam and Eve, do two sons, and they are raising their boys. They grew up to be men. And it says in verse 2, now Abel, he's they're one of the sons, Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. So one is a dirt farmer and one of them is a livestock farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, God did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. That, that phrase, sin is crouching at your door, has been something that I think for decades has been, I, I don't know, it's, it's picturesque, it's, it's 
it's gives, it gives it this like feel, this look of like what sin is. It's waiting at any time to, to grab us. Um, what's going on at this, at this point in, in the story is you see the Lord's kind of coming back to him and saying, you got a chance to make this right, but if, if you give in to your desires, then you're going to pay a price. And there's going to be others who pay a price. Like, it's here. Sin, sin is real. It's present with us. You have choices. It's waiting for you. you you've got to rule over it. Is that story just for him? Or is that, I mean, is that our story that, that we have to rule over with conquer these desires? We have to slam the, slam the door to the sin that's crouching there. I mean, how do you look at this story as it relates to the New Testament and then New Testament Christians? Yeah, there, there's a few things here. I think, you know, when I look at the back and forth between God and, and Cain, God longing for Cain to be in intimate fellowship with him. You know, God wants the relationship whole. Cain has made, made decisions to, uh, to, to nurture uh, dysfunction, not that God is dysfunctional. God's got his arms persistently extended to Cain, beckoning him uh, in some ways to, to come home, to experience the joy of the relationship. But Cain, as, as you shared earlier, in, in many ways, functioning as his own God, doing his own thing, um, living out based upon his own wants, and then the result of that is Abel experiences the fullness of the relationship God offers. Cain gets envious of that and then responds in anger, as if the situation wasn't created by Cain himself. And so when we give in to sin, and we see this earlier in Genesis 3, which I know will get unpacked more uh, in a sermon, but sin itself reaps dysfunction. And the only person Cain really should be angry at is himself because it's his actions that have caused the dysfunction, that have caused in, in some ways this relational separation between him and God, that has led to his own envy over the relationship that Abel enjoys uh, with God. And so it, it reveals to us that, you know, just as God has extended his arms to Cain, he extends his arms to us. The question is, is what, what are we going to find our joy in? Are we going to find our joy in the wants and desires uh, of our own heart? Or are we going to find our, our true joy in, in God? And that's where Abel's true joy was in. And so, you know, he gave God the best of what he had. And because for Abel, his true treasure was, was God himself. This story, I mean, God's speaking directly to Cain. Right. And, and telling him, look, you're going to be accepted. Do, do, what the, do the right thing. The very next verse, verse 8, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. They did. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. He just had a conversation with the Lord God. And yet what you're describing was so deep within him that he ignored God and just eliminated the competition. That, that was his means of creating his own environment to where he 
can can be with God is to kill Abel, to to kill off the one that he had grown envious of. And uh yeah, I mean, that's craziness, but that's what the dysfunction of sin yields uh in our lives. It it yields decision making, it yields actions that are contrary to the will and to the character of God. There's probably not a lot of us that are listening to this, at least that run around and, and we're killing our brothers. Uh, but we have other versions of that, of belittling uh, a thousand things. He's, we all know what our own family dysfunctions are or our relational dysfunctions and, and brokenness. Uh, e- even within a, a friendship community, a church community, school community, work, workplace environment. I mean, we have lots of ways in which rather than dealing with the, the own shortcomings in our own lives, own challenges, the own sin and brokenness in our own lives, we just try to eliminate the competition or, or squash them down in some kind of way. And that's a dangerous way to live. Verse 9 said this, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Very famous line, am I my brother's keeper? It's used all the time in all kinds of contexts. But it's really kind of a sassy response to God. I mean, God's asking this question, which he already knows the answer to, and he lies. Then Cain lies to him, I don't know where he is. And then he kind of mouths off, is that my job? Am am I my brother's keeper? That, That phrase, you know, what if we applied that to life? What if we applied that to our our neighbors? I mean, literally in our neighborhoods. Am I my brother, my sister, my my neighbor's keeper? What if we applied that to to schools? I I don't know. If you have any indication, are there even two teenagers that listen to these podcasts? Um, <laughs> If so, what if we applied it to our schools and said, am I my classmate's keeper or my teammate's keeper? And, and rather than trying to one-up, we, we saw how we could make their lives better. What if we applied it to our workplaces? When we went in and, and we saw our coworkers, our boss, those who work for us, whatever the case may be, and so am I my co-employee's keeper. It's a, I know he meant it in a kind of a sassy way back to God, but the answer is yes, right? I mean, the, the implied answer from God is, yeah, you are. You, you should have honored him, not, not killed him for sure. What, what are your thoughts on the, on the application of that question for our lives, or am I just making a huge leap? No, no, I don't think so. I think that there is. I mean, there's just this like indifference that that Cain has to to Abel, and he's just hard hearted. His heart has grown callous because of the envy that that he felt that he feels, and I think that um, it is. It's a caution. It's a caution to us. Because God's call for us is to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And and so the 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 call, God's call upon our lives is in some ways to be our brother's keeper from the standpoint that we 
uh, our, uh, have care and concern for our neighbor, for those in our lives. And so um, that's where, you know, and my, my brother's keeper from the standpoint that, you know, I'm some voyeur that is, you know, looking out the window constantly and, and judging my brother's actions. Uh, no. Am I my brother's keeper from the standpoint that I am called to love my brother, um, to pursue my brother, to care uh, for my brother, to not be ripe with envy um, toward my brother? I mean, I think about how so many people, out of envy itself, um, have a tendency to, to cut or to mock or um, as a means of, of self-protection, as a means of you know, feeling better about oneself. You know, when confronted with envy, they become bitter toward the person that they're envy of, uh, that they have this, this uh, envious response to. And that's just not what God has called us to. Um, God has called us uh, to, to, to love others. Um, God has called us to pursue others, to be a revelation, a tangible revelation of his, his love and presence to, to others. And so, yeah. Uh, to that end, am am I my brother's keeper? Yes, yes, I am. Or I'm As with most people, Cain uh, doesn't get super upset when he doesn't live into the the call that you're describing here. He gets upset when he gets caught. Right. You know that's that's right. the way it works in in most and it, of and life. And what what's his immediate <laughs> response? Is it's not even like I feel horrible that I killed my brother. It's well, if you send me away, like uh, so I might, I, I might come to harm. Somebody's going to harm me. Yeah, he's yeah. just so self-consumed. He, he's all about it. He's all about himself there, and and uh, life's going to be hard for him. Uh, and so he he's got these punishments, and he he says in verse thirteen, "My punishment is more than I can bear." Is what you're describing. Like I'm going to be here. I'm pe- people going to kill me. You know, I'm, like my, my life's going to be hard. It's just going to be a a rough, rough life. And then verse 15, God sort of redeems him a little bit and says, not so, anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. It's going to be worse for them. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. My, my grandma Elsesser, when I was growing up, I was a kid, whenever, whenever something happened that she thought was dumb or when she what she thought was a ridiculous thing for us to do, she'd just go land a nod, and I, <laughs> I never knew what that was about until I, <laughs> like she would say that all the, land a nod, like what are, what were you thinking? And so, I'm committed to that phrase for 2024. That's it. That's, that, that's going to be my new land my new phrase, my new a, response. It's a good land phrase. Land of nod. When, whenever my grandma said land a nod, and she didn't do the whole thing, you know, she is she she didn't do of. It was a land a nod. And whenever she did that, I knew that I had done something really dumb. You know, like, like <laughs> that's like awesome. The boys, we were in the backyard. You know, we'd be playing football, and we would uh, waiting for her, her to make a meal in Daleville, Indiana. And and so we would do something dumb or, or whatever, land an odd. And so that we knew that we, so I guess that um, she's reminding us that Cain did something stupid and we shouldn't too. <laughs> so there you, there, you, there you have that phrase for, that you can carry with you through the year. Well, you know, there's a lot to learn from these early things. And, and like with, like with 
with Cain or the with uh, boys who are doing dumb things in Daleville, Indiana, um, there's always hope, and God restores us and and cares for us and redeems us and brings us out of our mess and gives us a future and does that with Cain who goes on to have a family and have children and have offspring and, and, and live a life even though he had done this horrible, horrible thing. So it is, it's a reminder for all of us, you know, this is, this is going to be a good year this year. I'm, I'm really excited about it as we are here just in week two of it. And I think it's going to be good for us to look at the old Testament and to walk through this and it's going to be good for us to to walk through it and get a sense of what God is doing in our lives from the very beginning of the Bible all the way through the end of the Bible and even until today. And one other thing that I would just like to say is that as this podcast is being released, happy birthday, Lisa. It's my wife's birthday, and we are I, I am honored to be part of her life. We are a couple who loves being together and loves doing ministry together. And she is the love of my life. So Doug, keep that in there, brother. And there we, <laughs> there we have it. Okay. Next week, we're going to look at a, you know, these, there are these huge stories, right? In the Bible. And it's this big global flood and Noah's Ark. So we're going to take a look at that and see what we can glean from it. It's multiple chapters long. We won't be able to look at every word of it by any means at all, but Come on back and we'll listen to it then. And if you want to jump in deeper, you can go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, and click on the Be God's Light link. That will take you to more elements in this year-long study. Until then, take care.